You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. This is a new podcast combining discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know... Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. <laughs> I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, ladies and Gentiles, to another episode of Distilling Theology. <laughs> I am here with my dear friend, Balake, who is going to tell us a little bit tonight about the delicious uh, beverage that we have in our Glen Cairns here that I've been sniffing incessantly for the last 10 minutes. And I'm saying, save the notes for the show, bro. <laughs> Guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Tonight, we'll be tasting a Midwinter Night's Dram from the High West Distillery in uh, Park City, Utah. Now, this is a blend of straight rye whiskeys, which has been finished in French oak port barrels. It is a mm. limited release. The way that they do these Midwinter Night's Dram, which is a Shakespeare reference to a Midsummer Night's Dream, is they will release every year they do a small release. They call it an act number. So this is from 2017. It is act five. Uh, and the scene is a reference to which release it is chronologically in that year. So they'll do multiple releases throughout the year. I've seen it go up to as many as eight, sometimes higher, I think. Uh, this is scene one. So this is the first small bottling from 2017. And they do have some details for us here, uh, but we can get into that in a moment. I'd rather see what we think first and foremost, get a little, get a little, see how, how we go with it. What are you getting on the uh, aromatic qualities? Good, sir. Well, I've been sniffing it for a solid 10 minutes here, but it smells really good. It smells, it is as I was, as I was telling you before we hit the, the big red button here. Um, definitely getting a little bit of pecan, a little bit of rhubarb, some plums, some cherries. There's almost like a hint of cedar even. Yeah. It's I just also a get, kind of a unique blend of, yeah, go ahead. For sure. I also get apples, which I get a lot of the time with rye whiskey. And there's that bit of. You could get some citrus in there too. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like a, an orange peel, but like. Like one of those little nectarines. <laughs> yeah. A nectarine. So apparently, uh, last week I got a few people riled up over my pronunciation of a certain uh, Dutch reformed theologian, one Wilhelmus of Rachel. And I'm certain that I will not nail the pronunciation every time this episode because somebody in the Facebook group, in addition to making memes about this, uh, challenged me to say that name uh, Wilhelm is a brockle ah. 10 times during this episode, which has absolutely nothing to do with Dutch reformed theology. So we'll so see you, how many times I can say, say whose name 10 times. <laughs> Wilhelm is a brockle. Okay. We'll see how many times I can say it in the span of a, of an episode that's not related at all to his theology. Uh, well, we're Should up to be three exciting. so far. <laughs> that's right. So we'll see how it goes. And on that exciting note, let's oh, see man. what we, uh, what we taste with this thing. Cheers, yes, please. Mm. Oh yeah. There's a lot of cherry, a lot of molasses. Yeah. Kind of tastes like a gingerbread cookie, you know? Yeah. Mm. 
could see that. I could see that. I gotta go in for another, another taste. Yeah, that's great. There's a lot happening in this rye. Yeah, I can see those, the baking spice, and then also like a cherries, but not the overly sweet kind. It's just kind of like the yeah. more the tart like character of cherries. Cherry. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. almost like a, a tartiness to it, like a tart. Maybe some berries. Hmm. Hmm. Here's a, some notes from the distillery themselves. Oh, they say, greetings, good gentles and ladies. At High West, we consider whiskey an indispensable part of making it through the long, cold winter. Well, amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One taste of a midwinter night's dram alongside a cozy fire will surely transport you to a dreamlike state. This limited-release whiskey is a sumptuous marriage of our rendezvous rye finished in French oak port barrels. The rye forms a beautiful base of vanilla, caramel, and cinnamon. The port barrels, made from French oak, enhance with notes of plums, dried fruit, and provides a spice accent. For us, a midwinter night's dram tastes like a proper Christmas plum pudding with lovely mulling spices, dried fruits, and I'm not going to attempt to say that other thing. I'll say Wilhelm is a all night, but I can't say that. Hey-oh, four times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, th- this is a fantastic rye. This is very oh, good. show. Yeah, I'm... So, I think with High West, I encountered some of their cheaper, if you will, swill whiskeys. And that gave a, a poor taste in my mouth, if you will. I had a, an Man. incorrect introduction. You're killing it tonight. Take your puns. You know, I have my... I can't let you have all the fun. You know, that reminds me. I, I gotta I gotta brag a little bit about my son. Yes, So please. my son, Levi, he's, he's uh, gonna be four this uh, July. Oh. He... He was um, cooking scrambled eggs and has a fork in his hand. And he's looking around. He's like, where's my fork? Where's my fork? Where's my fork? Can't find my fork. Like, Levi, the fork's, it's forks in your hand. And he he looks up and he says, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Get it? I forgot. The kid's making puns. He's not even four years old. Legend daddy. I'm a proud daddy. That is a proud dad moment. We are all proud dads with you. Wait. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's not how that works. All right. So uh, So. tonight's episode today is for us. uh, You won't be hearing it on this day, but happy Resurrection Day, Blake. Mm -hmm. It is Easter Sunday here for us, April 12th. And tonight, naturally, we wanted to speak on the resurrection because we both know as Paul said, if there is no resurrection from the dead, we are the most pitiable among men. So um, I yeah. don't think you and I are pitiable. So, uh, but that's only because that's only because there's resurrection. Amen. The tomb is empty. So, mm. uh, naturally, he is risen, Blake. Indeed, we're going to open mm. in prayer from the Valley of Vision nice. collection of Puritan prayers. This is going to be one titled resurrection it's on page 86 it is wild it's almost like never mind i'm not even going to try to joke because because this is really the the cornering foundation upon which our hope rests is the the event the true event of the resurrection of jesus so on that note we'll jump into it O god of my exodus great with the joy of israel's sons when egypt died upon the shore 
far greater the joy when the Redeemer's foe lay crushed in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious surety, apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Mm. Show me herein the proof that his vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, that the, that the devil's scepter is shivered, that his wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died, in him I rose. In his life I live, in his victory I triumph, in his ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, thou who wast lifted up upon a cross art ascended to highest heaven. Thou who as man of sorrows wast crowned with thorns art now as Lord of life wreathed with glory. Once no shame more deep than thine, no agony no more bitter no death more cruel, now no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. Thou art in the triumph car leading captive thine enemies behind thee. What more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection my peace, thy ascension my hope, thy prayers my comfort amen hmm. amen it's so good so good well thanks for tuning into this episode <laughs> <laughs> wait we didn't get to say wilhelm is a brockle 10 times oh, five times <laughs> oh we're halfway there <laughs> so this character of which you speak <clears throat> What's his name again? <laughs> Another one. Because I believe you're going to quote him here, are you not? I am in a, in a few moments, but I figured we could we could get into the scripture <laughs> okay. before we quote Wilhelmus Abrakel. <laughs> and another one. <laughs> Challenge accepted, as they say. I think we're doing great so far. I think this is great. All right. So we got some verses here in light of Resurrection Day. Mm, amen. We have a couple different gospel records. Uh, I'll start us off in the gospel of Mark, chapter 16, in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. 
and then they went out in the t- went out from the tomb to tell the disciples. But I mean, what a it's hard to imagine that experience. Well, consider consider a little extra context here. I mean, so to, just to paint the picture, you have Jesus buried in a borrowed tomb. He's in this tomb. Not only is there a gigantic rock in front of it, it's sealed. And the Jews were like, well, we need to make sure that the disciples don't steal the body. And right. so they send their guard out to guard the tomb because, uh, you know, they approach, they approach Pontius Pilate and he's like, well, you have a guard, you do it. You know, so they, <laughs> they, they, put, they put the guard. Yeah, they put the guard there. And these angels appear. There's two of them. When you look at several different accounts, we, we know there's two angels there present. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they show up and the guard become like dead men. I mean, they're just like right. out, like <laughs> that kind of presence and that kind of power. So naturally, these ladies show up. Yeah, fear, trembling. I'd be terrified. Like, yeah. how else are you going to feel? You know, this massive tomb is rolled away. These these warriors are passed out. And this dude's sitting on top of the, the, the stone that's been rolled away. Like, sup? You know, in his big old white robe, chilling. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, coming. Oh, you seek the dead. The, the, de- the dead is not here. <laughs> you know? Right. He's risen, and so like, I, I can't, I can't fathom that kind of scene. Like that's yeah. what you see in movies, except even cooler, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's wild. And what else is cool? And we we'll talk about this probably in an episode specifically about textual criticism and specifically about uh, the veracity of scripture about how these different accounts align. But in light of that, after the women left the tomb. They did go and tell Peter and the disciples. And I think yeah. that picks up in John's gospel. We were going to pick it up over there. Yes. So John 20, uh, verses 1 through 10. This is John's account of the resurrection. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and, <laughs> and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, naturally. I mean, consider their friend had died. He's no longer where he was supposed to be. And so they're like freaking out. I'd be freaking out. Like, what the heck happened? Especially considering they know the context of what's going on. So they're sprinting to the tomb. But I love this. It says, but they were running together. But the other disciple <laughs> outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> I literally just saw a meme about this. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, hold, hold the thought. I mean, consider writing this being like, yo, there's two of us. Yeah. But uh oh, yeah. Yeah, one of us is a bit faster than the other one. Right. The, Strapped the up my up. Jerusalem cruisers. Went went for it. <laughs> did you say Jerusalem cruisers? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> the original Air Ones. <laughs> Positive, encouraging, speedy. Yes, the meme is, uh, John, I won. Peter, who's even going to know? John whispers, everyone will know. <laughs> It's kind of amazing. And then it has that verse, John. Anyhow, so. It's so good. So, <clears throat> yeah, one disciple outran the other, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. I think that's significant. <laughs> you yeah. know, he sees the clothes laying there, but the man doesn't even want to step in there. Like, 
Fear, perhaps? Sure. Who knows? He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first (laughs) also went in, and he saw and believed. Mm. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then Mm. the disciples went back to their homes. So Jesus has been telling them all this time, look, I got to die, yo, but it's going to be like three days and I'm back. And they're like, they're hearing this regularly. Yeah. And they, but they're not hearing it. And then it comes to pass. (laughs) He dies. And they're like, now what do we do? As if they don't know that that's what he's been telling. And then they go to the tomb. It's empty. They see his, his wraps there all folded nicely. (laughs) And they're like, I don't know what's going on. Right. (laughs) Imagine being that close to Jesus. And still not hearing what he's saying. Yeah. I think it's an interesting just kind of frame of mindset that, you know, I think it helps, for me at least, it helps put me there because I can understand being like that, you know. I mean, how many times have I read the scriptures and been like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's been telling me this the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Silly me. So, yeah. But, you know, significant, significant stuff. For sure. Yeah, and it's, you know, I'm sure everybody this Sunday read through one of these gospel records, so we don't mean to rehash what you probably just heard a couple of days ago from your Sunday service. Not that not that hearing about the resurrection of Jesus over and over again is a bad thing. Not at all, because as our boy Wilhelmus Abraco says in his The Christian's Reasonable Service, which is a massive four-volume, it's like this combination of like a systematic theology and a catechism. Because it has this like question and answer thing. Is it a systematic catechism? Oh, or is it a, no, never mind. I'm not going to try it. Uh, Cataclysmic theology? Don't attempt. (laughs) Do not attempt. Abort. All right. Uh, He says that the Lord instituted the Sabbath so that the salvific events of Jesus' birth, passion, death, resurrection, and ascension could be repeatedly commemorated. Mm. So. Who said that? Hold on, I have I have another quote from him. I don't need to I don't need to wear out his name just yet. Good try though. We'll we'll cover for safety later. But I thought that's a really cool <clears throat> summation. You'll see this in the Westminster Confession of Faith. The London Baptist, I believe, also has it where it talks about the switching of Sabbath from the last day of the week, which would be yep. Saturday in our calendar, to the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Why do we celebrate the Lord's Day? The Lord's Day uh, as the Sabbath on Sunday is because this is where we see this first day of the week, this resurrection of Christ. There's other, you know, you could get into passages about, I think it's in John's apocalypse where he talks about being in the spirit on the Lord's day. Yeah. And there's other references throughout. So there's this, it's not just for the sake of the church tradition. There is a scriptural exegetical reason. Sure. sure. But it's called the Lord's day for a reason, you know, right. We don't want to confuse it with other days. Exactly. And I like supper. You don't confuse with other suppers. (laughs) Of course. So, and I like what Abrakel says here, that these things, these events, the salvific work of Christ is to be repeatedly commemorated. Mm-hmm. So now it's it's not just a once a year or a twice a year. It's a weekly reminder yeah. of the accomplishment of Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we'll get into some of those, the efficacy and, and the reasons of the resurrection in a few minutes. But um, I think it's good to bear that in mind when we come together on the Lord's Day, whether right now that's from a distance, which has just 
got me longing to be in community. And I've heard that a lot from a lot of Christians, that they're just missing the physical gathering of the body of Christ. But that leads into this discussion of how does Christ's death and resurrection fit within the scope of redemptive history? Because you ask most people about the Bible and they say, oh, Jesus died for your sins. They probably know about Noah's flood. They probably know about the parting of the Red Sea. They probably don't know some of the really obscure things that happen in the book of Judges or <laughs> some of the more obscure laws. Are you saying that they all haven't read Ruth? <laughs> Come on, Blake. <laughs> or, the, you know, the entirety of the book of Job, and they probably couldn't tell you uh, Elihu's <clears throat> contribution to the conversation. Sure. So most people could tell you those couple basic points and the death of Christ and the birth of Christ because of the celebrations we have around it. But I don't think a lot of people really, for knowing the event, I don't think many people understand, uh, you know, what, what, what does it mean that Christ died for, for, for your sins? Like, what does that mean sure. in the context of this redemptive history? So, Justin, could you give us a little, little tasting? Yeah, so I think it's significant to, or very important to realize that from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, we're hearing about the death and the resurrection of Christ. Right. Whether it's leading up to it or looking back at it, that is the central purpose and the point of Scripture in general. The whole point yeah. of Scripture is to talk about Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, it's the means by which he saves his people. And if that's what Scripture is about, God's redemptive purpose in history for his people, for his glory, and for our good, we, we need to understand that there's so much more than just the day that he died on the cross and then the three days later when he rose there's so much more to that. So I think it raises a lot of questions. I think it raises the question, why did Jesus rise from the dead? Um, we talked briefly about this, about what Paul said, but according to 1 Peter, his resurrection leads us to at least two life-changing benefits. Number one, that we have a living hope and new life. So consider those two things. We have not a dead Savior. We have a Savior who's alive. You can compare that really to any worldview any God that anybody else worships is not a living savior. It's not, you know, where is everybody else? <laughs> they're right. either in the ground or they're going to be in a couple of decades. <laughs> uh, so that's incredibly important. We have a living hope, a living savior. And the only reason that we have a hope in new life is because our savior conquered death. He died. The father raises the son. He conquers death. And so death for him is literally something that's like, well, beat that. You know, we have a savior who is sitting at the right hand of the father in heaven, putting his enemies under his feet and he's conquered death. So we have this amazing hope because of that event <laughs> mm. that, that happened. Right. He enters into history, which he created, <laughs> becomes like us to do this particular task as a means to glorify himself and to, uh, for us, ultimately, for our salvation. So yeah. I think that's incredibly important. Uh, you know, uh, consider uh, 1 Corinthians, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? For you and me, it reminds me of a meme I saw. It's got this basketball coach, and he's like, 
cheering and he's really excited like they just want a game and it's like paul headed to his execution circuit you know uh, you know he's he's headed to his execution knowing that christ is to die is gain and so it's like he's not mad at all about being executed because he knows the hope that he has in christ we don't have to fear death now do we i think more often than not you and i probably fear pain than we fear death i don't want to go out painfully Nobody wants to suffer, right? But the the fear that's normally associated with death and the unbeliever, we don't have to have that fear, because death is just something else that's been conquered by our King. Mm. So mm. that's so good. Carry on, Blake. Indeed. Well, to cycle back because of, because this is what we're doing this episode. I was going to say apparently it it is what's happening. Mohammed uh, Sabarakal tells us. <laughs> that he notes a couple of points of the efficacy of the resurrection of Christ, right? And, and these are kind of a rehash of what you just said, but I love the way he, he says the first fruit is our justification, right? Mm-hmm. And so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, justification being where God looks at sinful people who have not lived up to what he commands us to deposit, to do positively and who have broken his law. But because of our union with Jesus through faith, we receive justification on the basis of Christ. And in this case, the first fruit of Christ's resurrection is justification. The second fruit being sanctification. Because Christ is raised, now we're able to be sanctified. The Spirit indwells us and transforms us over time, conforming us Mm -hmm. to the image of Christ. And the third fruit of Christ's resurrection is the blessed resurrection of believers. As you were just alluding to the hope that's pointed out in first Corinthians, we have so much to look forward to because Christ already conquered, right? In one sense, it's like, we've already, it's like, you know, the ultimate spoiler warning, right? It's like, (laughs) it's like, Oh, don't spoil the series for me. Well, too bad. I already, you know, Jesus, Jesus wins. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because he already won. Exactly. <laughs> like, man, and I love the simplicity of that. Like that picture of the fact that the resurrection of Christ doesn't just mean that salvation is a possibility, but it actualizes justification. Sure. It actually affects sanctification. Like when sure. we focus on this reality, how can we not pursue sanctification? Sure. And ultimately, it brings about our own resurrection in the finality and oh so glorious uh and then there's one more quote from the christian's reasonable service by wilhelm sabrakel <laughs> that i wanted to quote to because i think this is important as christians right what separates us from other religions and there's a lot of other stuff as we get through systematic theology we will talk about it but i like what he says here is that the first step is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. This is the cardinal doctrine of our Christian religion as Mm. salvation hinges upon Mm. faith in and confession of this truth. And he quotes 1 Corinthians 15, 14 that says, and if Christ be not raised, then is our preaching in vain and your faith is also vain. He also quotes Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
This truth is therefore abundantly and clearly presented in God's word. It is referred to as rising in Matthew 28, 6, being raised in Romans 4, 24, and to be alive in Revelation 2, verse 8. Mm. And he says, we must take note of the veracity, necessity, and benefit of it. And I love that. Like, if we don't believe and confess this central doctrine of our faith, we don't have faith if we sure. don't believe that Jesus actually died and actually was resurrected and that that has meaning, then our faith is vain. And we basically just have a list of moral to do's. We have another nice teacher. You may as well, you may as well pick up Gandhi or Buddha or whatever philosophy you want to follow. If you're not going to accept and embrace resurrection sorry i got a little little no no that's good stuff and i think there's a couple of other things that i think are often i don't know the the thoughts that come to my mind a lot of times you'll hear people say you know jesus is the king of heaven but you know satan's the king of earth i've heard that so much and that doesn't even make sense jesus is reigning at the right hand of the father because he rose from the dead and conquered death he conquered he, he's already conquered the devil and yeah. the scripture says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me right so not only sure the world is under the sway of the wicked one but being under the sway of something is not the same as being ruled by the king of kings and the lord of lords hmm. who has already defeated death. And I think there's some other things, some peripheral things that I think are important to note about the resurrection. Uh, We see Jesus in a resurrected body, for example, a perfect body. If that's not like a prototype of what we can expect, I don't know what is. Sure. You know, he's in this new body that doesn't appear to have the same restrictions that yours and mine do. He passes right through a wall, for example, uh, to enter the room where his disciples were, which another very important note I think is important. After the resurrection is the first time that he refers to his disciples as my brethren, Mm. because in the death and resurrection of himself, he's now made it possible for us to be adopted into his family as co-heirs with Mm. Christ. We become adopted as brothers and sisters into the family of God, which is so incredibly sweet to taste that when once you've actually become adopted and become a child. Of, mm. I hate hearing that. Well, we're all God's children. You can tell me how many times I've heard that. And it's yeah. like, you've not, have you not read? <laughs> no, they haven't. I mean, ultimately. Sure. But yeah, that's, you know, we, we get this amazing gift in the resurrection that we can become brothers with Christ under the same heavenly father. <laughs> It's it's incredibly sweet. Yeah, man. It's just one of the most you know, I there's a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien that he coined this phrase for his literature where things were, you know, looked really bad and this isn't the exact variation, but he says, you know, essentially when all hope is lost, when the heroes have spent, you know, their last drop of blood and defeat is at hand it's over and then a sudden miraculous grace swoops in and transforms the day and as opposed to the the plot device of the you know god from the machine deus ex machina in story right as opposed to just like okay swooping in and 
you know, okay, I couldn't find a, a solution to this problem, so I'm gonna uh, give my hero some sort of new new ability. Tolkien's phrase "eucatastrophe" is this idea that <laughs> we're at the we have limitate we we're done. There's nothing more we can do. We have we have fought our fight and we're losing. Mm-hmm. You see this in the Lord of the Rings. You also see this in in C.S. Lewis's literature in the Chronicles of Narnia. Right, that all is lost until that sudden miraculous grace comes and turns catastrophe into you catastrophe into victory and i mean what what a word to describe the gospel right right we are the rebels the the enemies of god scripture says the carnal mind the mind set in the flesh cannot please god we were at enmity we were dead in trespasses and sins pursuing the desires of the flesh even as the, the children of disobedience right we we lived in all all those sin the vice lists every time that those come up there's a reference to and such were you right such were <laughs> such you were some of you right yeah and yet despite all of that despite our inability as actors in this drama of redemption right we could we act five scene one hey oh <laughs> In the last hour, in the in the moment of darkness, in the moment when all seems lost, when the when the Lord of Light is crucified, is suffering and dying in darkness, in that moment of resurrection, all is turned over, and mm. death is swallowed up in victory. I mean, what like all our stories ultimately point to this? I think um, I don't know how familiar you are with like some of the influences George Lucas had for Star Wars, but he read. Mm joseph campbell's the hero with a thousand faces which i mm-hmm. i've read as well and it's basically a study in comparative religion and he comes up with this idea of the monomyth which is basically like all other myths and folk religions basically follow this same general you know arc and he has all these stops along it but what's fascinating to me is how everything else pales in comparison to the gospel even though <laughs> yeah. there are there are echoes right ultimately like all truth is god's truth the things that these other areas get right are only because they are referencing. It's it's why that's a an enduring story. Why do we resonate with it? Because it's a true story. Uh, or Tolkien, how he how he helped to convert C.S. Lewis to Christianity with the idea of the true myth, mm-hmm. right? Because it's mythic. This is unbelievable. If you were to make it up, and yet well, we yeah. have we have all these account, eyewitness accounts of people who wrote, who saw it. And well, right. you have yeah. 40 some authors for right. thousands of years on three different continents in three different languages that are able to come up with uh, with prophecies that come to pass exactly as they're foretold. And you have all these eyewitness accounts uh, all coming together in perfect unity and unison. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an amazing coincidence. <laughs> the, the other thing, too, is that I was thinking about as you were talking about the gospel as a story is so often I've heard the argument, well, you know, your God is made up. It's, you know, how many stories do we have? There's, of course, we, we always make up stories, so naturally, you know, it's, somebody wrote a good story or whatever. Could it be that because we were designed a certain way and God chose to communicate a certain way, that naturally the outpouring of that is that we want to echo and reflect that in all that we do? Could that be? Could it be that the reason we love stories, the reason that we love this hero archetype, the reason that we love so much of storytelling is because we are literally part of the great story 
that mm. God has already written since the foundation of this earth. I mean, mm. we have it so backwards, but really, we know why we are the way we are. Yeah. Reminds me of a quote that we had in this week's chapter of The Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bavink that we, we just discussed earlier today in our reading group, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. In the chapter on man's highest good, he says, Though it is much that art can accomplish... It is only in the imagination that we can enjoy the beauty which art discloses. Art cannot close the gulf between the ideal and the real. It cannot make the yonder of its vision the here of our present world. It shows us the glory of Canaan from a distance, but it does not usher us into the better country, nor make us citizens of it. And he says, all these things art can't do, and finally it is not even able to dry the tears from the grief of our life. Mm-hmm. I thought it's such a powerful statement, right? It's like art is powerful because it's a gift of God. Sure. And as you're saying, stories are reflective of the true story of the gospel. Ultimately, like why are they resonant? Because we long for redemption. Because as Bob Inc. says in the end of that chapter, man is an enigma whose only solution is found in God, right? We, we're longing and nothing can fill that except the God who created us, except the right. Savior who died for us, except the Spirit that indwells us and sanctifies us, right? There's, there's nothing outside of that. And while art can express this, you know, stories ultimately, and music, as beautiful as it is, it can't actually solve any of our problems. Well, consider how can a dead man be satisfied? Yeah. We can't be satisfied apart from Christ because we're dead in our sins. We're not mm-hmm. sick. We're not, we don't just have a hole in our heart that's missing. We are dead yeah. in our sin. And so naturally, we're not going to be satisfied in anything until we've been given life. Mm. That's so good, man. Indeed. <laughs> Dude, this topic just... It's, it's funny because simultaneously it makes me speechless and just in awe. And I also just... It's, I just once I start talking about it, I don't want to talk about anything else. Sure, sure. Well, it is the crux, the foundation, yeah. the principium Ooh, of the Christian yeah. faith. It is our reference point for the faith. Mm. Without it, none of this matters. Yeah. If there's no resurrection of Christ, we got nothing. We're, yeah. we're worthless. This is all worthless. The power of the gospel mm. is in the resurrection. The power of our life that we're given is because of the resurrection. It's because of the resurrection, anything happens. Yeah. So yeah, naturally, as Christians, lovers of Christ, we've why wouldn't we be thrilled to speak about it? There's yeah, a reason man. that Christian funerals are different than mm. the funerals of those who have no hope. Yeah. Because we know that death is merely the beginning for those mm. who love God. Mm. And that's that's the key. You must repent and know Christ. Yeah. Romans 10 out of 10, right? Confess Jesus as Lord doesn't just mean, oh, I said Jesus is Lord. It it entails a transformation of the life. As you see, as you see just a few chapters later in the book of Romans, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. Or back in in chapter eight, right? That the spirit is conforming us to the image of Christ, right? We're we're going to be made into the image of Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, there's a difference between knowledge and knowledge. The demons know that God is who he says he is, and they tremble. Right. (laughs) But we know Christ, Mm. and we know Christ. 
and Christ knows us, frankly. Right. It's because we not only have the head knowledge, but we have heart knowledge. We know Christ in our hearts as well as our minds. So there, there's a significance in recognizing it's not just intellectual. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is intellectual. Uh, Christianity, I think, demands being intellectual. Sure. I think we are called to think. It is not an unreasonable faith. Our faith Amen. is reasonable. It's logical. It's all of the intellectual things. But there is also peace and joy and life to be had. There's transformation. There's sanctification. Changes happen. The Christian man is a new creation. His soul desire upon justification becomes Christ. His soul desire. So while we stumble, we're just stumbling saints. We have hope and we have a love and a newfound love. So there's the knowledge, the intellectual knowledge, but there's that knowledge that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know, Hmm. that we Hmm. will see (laughs) Christ upon our death. So it's, yeah. Makes me think of uh, (laughs) the first question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is, that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yes, that all things must work together for my salvation, Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. I, dude, I love the Heidelberg Catechism. I, uh, yeah. As much as I really enjoy digging into the, the confessions for their practicality, there's something so um, warm and encouraging and comforting. I mean, the first question is what is my, not what is my only hope? What is my only faith? What is my only comfort in life? And it still has all the scripture proofs just like the confessions do, but there's just that comfort in Christ, man, this is really good. And I don't want it to go on for too long because I don't want to lose people. So I'm going to briefly switch, switch gears and talk about, we're going to do that live episode. We don't have a date yet. But there's a couple whiskeys polling in the Facebook group. So please, if you're in the group, I pin the poll to the top of the group as an announcement. So please vote on which whiskey you want us to taste live by so this that weekend. So you can sip along with us. Yes. By this weekend, which will be Saturday the 18th. So please jump in there. Currently, a little further down the poll, we have Bullet Bourbon. Mm-hmm. I've got a little 50 milliliter or like a little one and a half, two ounce bottle of it. As do I. A little further down the line, there's also Maker's Mark Whiskey. I've got a little 200 milliliter bottle of that. And then leading the charge with 20, some 23, 21 votes. I don't remember. The group's archived today for the Lord's Day, so I don't know where it is. But leading the charge is Knob Creek Bourbon, which I have a little 375 milliliter bottle of. So the point about these two is that we tried to pick whiskeys for this that were readily available, things that anyone should be able to get their hand on no matter where you are in the country, things a lot of people probably already have. And also things that aren't crazy expensive and also that have a lot of varieties of options. I know just in the local place that I go, they have the full size bottle. They've got a liter. They've got this half size bottle and they've got the little like two ounce sample bottles. The idea being we would love to taste whiskey live 
with you guys in our show. We'll be doing that in our Facebook group, Distilling Theology. We're going to we're going to announce the date next on the next episode. Yeah. But get in the group if you're not already vote on a whiskey so that we know which one to announce when we announce the date. And (laughs) we're really looking forward to that. It's going to be super awesome. And we might be doing a certain exciting event for those who comment. Yeah, it could involve potentially some things and some items and some some nouns that are being given away. Potentially. Potentially at the cost of uh, not you, listener, but coming from us as a, as a gift to you. <laughs> for the small charge of joining the Facebook group and participating in the live video by commenting throughout the video, probably more mm-hmm. than just an emoji. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. As cool uh, yeah. as that is. We're going to do a giveaway, uh, if that was uh, too vague for you. Um, <laughs> we're still going to be very cryptic about what we're giving away. Yes. I'm going to pretend that that's just because we're trying to drive interest and be cryptic and vague. Yeah. Not just for our own personal entertainment. <laughs> no. But yeah, we're really excited about that. We have some things that we think you really enjoy and um, that are, uh, at this point in time, rare. Yeah. So, you could yeah, say, we're really excited yeah. about that. <laughs> Go ahead. No, 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 I got nothing. I was just, I was, uh, I was uh, going maybe, to mention. Maybe you'll get Blake to say, uh, who's that guy's name? The Dutch guy. Oh. Well, as it as it happens, I've been doing all this as a ploy because somebody said they would join our Patreon if <laughs> I said the name Wilhelmus Abrakel 10 times in the next episode. And guess what? That was number 10. My That's number 10. But just for good measure, I'll say it one more time. Wilhelmus Abrakel. <laughs> Also, speaking of Patreon, I wanted to give a quick welcome to our latest patrons. We now have Kenny, Michael, and Miguel joining us on Patreon. So thank you guys so much for your support. We are so appreciative of all of you and the rest of our Patreons. For those of you who do sign up for Patreon as well, if you like the idea of giveaways, there will be more in the future there uh, exclusively for our patrons. This is true. As well as early release episodes, video exclusives, and some other exciting times. Oh, yes. Basically, you're just <laughs> going to see more notifications from distilling theology, <laughs> as it were. Words, yeah. So, Blake, uh, what do we have coming next week uh, in the pipe so, for people? So, next week, not episode 21, actually. I'm going to call this episode 9B. Uh, as a... So, yeah. <laughs> We, a while ago, you may have noticed, <laughs> we uh, dropped an episode uh, interviewing Les Lanfear, the uh, writer and director of uh, the movie Calvinist and of Spirit and Truth. We interviewed him regarding his latest film, Spirit and Truth, and that was part one. It's a two-part episode, and we have yet to release part two. <laughs> it's on Patreon, though. It is on Patreon. Uh, so we're going to drop that so that the rest of you can enjoy... Uh, the rest of the content. Uh, perhaps you'll even go back and listen to part one again since it's been about 18 years since we uh, released the first one. So we're really excited to give that to you guys. It's going to be awesome. That was probably my favorite episode to record to date. Sure. Yeah. Meeting Les was a huge blessing. He's an awesome guy. Lovely brother in Christ. And so mm-hmm. I'm excited to, uh, I'll probably listen to that again myself uh, when that comes out. Um, so yeah. yeah. Is there anything else, Blake, you got for us? The only other thing I would say is the week after that. So there's no there's no whiskey tasting in that episode. We all drank uh, non-alcoholic beverages. Uh, mm-hmm. Les had a LaCroix. Justin had uh, chocolate milk and I had an apple cider. 
uh, spiced <laughs> apple cider. So uh, if you all, which was homemade for for reference from apples. Not we to be confused with spiked York. apple cider. Uh, it might have been spiked. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, but it became spiked apple cider later. Ooh. Anyways, that said, uh, we're excited for you guys to hear that. Both parts of the mm-hmm. episode, we'll be sure to post them again. Then the following week, we'll probably jump back into our systematic theology series. And we're going to try to spread it out so we don't just bombard you with eight weeks straight of systematic theology. Because yep. as as fun as that sounds, I'd like to spread that out. <laughs> you know and a huge shout out again to everybody who has joined our reading group for Bavink's wonderful works of god like it went from like 10 people and i thought we're not going to have enough people for this to really justify the existence of a facebook group and now there's 53 people mm-hmm. and it's awesome yeah but- we, we've had to split up the video chat uh, into two uh so far yeah so we had one on saturday and we had one today on the lord's day mm. uh, to get together with fellow believers and talk about the wonderful works of our resurrected God. Hmm. So, yeah. Also, on that note, I just wanted to say, Bavink writing at the turn of the 20th century in the Netherlands has this immediacy oh. that speaks to our own time 100 years later. Yes. Not that Calvin and Luther and the others don't have that richness, because Bavink is very much in that rich tradition, but... Mm-hmm there's an immediacy to his writing. Like in the first couple, in the introduction to the reader, he's talking about how people are consumed with their newspapers and they don't have time for reading scripture. Okay. So substitute reading newspapers for being on social media or watching TV. (laughs) Right. Like we're in the exact same boat as a society, as far as our, if you will, existential problems Mm -hmm. are relatively similar to Mm -hmm. that time. It's just the technology is more advanced, but we're basically in the same boat. There's a immediacy to his words and he talks about Wilhelm Sebrakel and the, the Christian's Reasonable Service and Calvin, uh, the Institutes, and saying, look, these writings were excellent, but we need something that speaks here and now to where we are yes. and reminds us to slow down and to, to cherish, to relish, to celebrate the wonderful works of God. So if I haven't plugged that hard enough yet... Um, <laughs> uh, Westminster We're not Sem- sponsored. Are you sure about that? <laughs> but we could be. <laughs> Westminster Seminary Press, if you're listening. Let's press X for doubt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. All right. Well, it's been awesome. Justin, always a pleasure to record these with you guys. Thank you for listening. Blake, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs> <laughs>